Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. Hello, I'm David Kermode. Welcome to The Drinking Hour from Food FM, episode 88, the second of our special editions dedicated to the wines of Bordeaux. And this week, our focus is on its wonderful white wines. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. Just 50 years ago, Bordeaux produced more white wine than it did red. These days, that really is ancient history, as 85% of its output is red, just 9% dry white, 1% sweet white, 4% rosé, and 1% sparkling cremant. Uh, Those figures based on the output in 2021, by the way, so they're the most up-to-date we have. Its white wines uh, might have gone out of fashion for a while, but uh, Bordeaux boasts a grape variety that's undoubtedly de rigueur, Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, You don't often see it on the front label, and it's usually blended uh, with another wonderful uh, variety, Sémillon, and also uh, potentially Muscadel and or uh, Sauvignon Gris as well. Uh, The resulting wines are fresh, textural, and, well, frankly, delicious. I am a big fan. So this week we're focusing on white Bordeaux, and why we should love it so. Later, I'll speak to another new generation winemaker with a small property in Grave. But first, let's head to a rather bigger entity, Producteur Vignoble, cooperative uh, responsible for production of millions of bottles. Uh, We'll find out exactly how many shortly, no doubt, many of which end up on the shelves of our retailers here in the UK. Uh, Sarah van der Beek is an export manager, and she joins us uh, now. Welcome to The Drinking Hour, Sarah. Well, thank you very much for having me, David. It's a great pleasure to be with you here this morning. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to have you too. Um, uh, Simple question first. Just uh, tell us uh, about Producteur Vignoble. Introduce us to the company and uh, the winery, what you're doing and where you are. Yeah, sure. So Producteur Vignoble was founded in 1949 by four cooperative sellers who wanted to put together their financial means, their human resources and their technical means into one single unit um, that would handle the business and the marketing for them. So basically today we have five shareholders in all the five big appellations of Bordeaux in this one, I also include Bergerac, which is a little bit further southeast. And today we are present at the export, for example, in 50 countries. So it's 2,500 wine growers, 
for about 20,000 hectares vineyard, uh, which makes us one of the first Bordeaux producer in France. I mean, that's uh, a very big setup. How much wine are you making? So um, we are doing about um, 20 million bottles a year, which is nearly 40 bottles per minute. <laughs> wow. Um, and this is a, a cooperative in that you're basically bringing people together to act together effectively, to, to bring sort of savings to them and to, to act as one for the efficiency that that uh, brings uh, to them. Absolutely. And as cooperative, it's also our responsibility to be uh, the best possible ambassador for Bordeaux appellations, because we have the means to basically highlight all that Bordeaux has to offer, uh, both on the national market and on the international markets. Yeah. Tell us why those small producers that you represent uh, within that big cooperative, tell us why they're so important to Bordeaux. So small producer, uh, depending on which appellation we're talking to, has a very different definition. Uh, because in some appellation, it's someone who would have one to two hectares. In some other appellation, it's someone who would have 30 hectares. So it's very different. Um, we have indeed different kind of wine growers uh, who are members of the cooperative. Um, I would say that small producers and let's say bigger producers have both um, identical uh, value to us as each one is bringing uh, different things. Small producer um, are very important to the cooperative because um, sometimes they would also bring new ideas that might be bigger producer uh, don't necessarily have the mean to. Uh, but on the other hand, bigger producers can easily separate their vineyards and try something new with just a couple of hectares where uh, small producers can't. So I would talk about producers in general and um, the power of the cooperative, the power of investing in um, the industrial mean to, for example, offer different kind of bottles, different kind of closing with screw cap or regular corks, and of course the mean to invest in terms of communication and in terms of marketing. I think I've uh, shared with you the our structure was founded in 1949, so it's a very old structure um, in terms of cooperative. But as a cooperative, we are very good at doing things, but maybe a little bit less at communicating about it. Um, and that's what we are uh, trying to do at Producta, to better highlight all the efforts that are done by our wine growers, both, again, uh, the small ones and the bigger ones, because we act as an entity. You feature on your website a number of what you call portraits of your cooperative members yeah. and it's a very good point you make about the definition of small because in Bordeaux because Bordeaux is very big then you can be still relatively yeah. small I suppose as you say and still be a actually quite sizable sort of uh, farm in, in, in your, your own right uh, producing these grapes but tell us about those members that you feature do they share ideas do they work together within the cooperative yeah, of course. So as you've uh, seen on our website, uh, we promote both chateaus and brands. So we have our flagship brands. 
and um, we are close to our wine growers because at the end of the day, they are our bosses, right? So it's also very important for them to know where their wines are sold, how they are sold um, on the on-trade or on the off-trade. And it's always very rich for us to exchange with them and to better understand uh, also what the consumer wants and what the current trends are. And uh, most of the time we're sitting around the table with them and sharing uh, market insights uh, so that uh, they can also give us uh, more accurate information to again highlight. Um, you shared with me that uh, it's very important, of course, uh, to, to discuss about the environmental impact that we have. I was actually really happy to um, see that you know that Bordeaux is uh, very much uh, engaged in an environmentally friendly approach um, because this is something that we've been doing for years now. But again, we haven't been very good at communicating about it. So this is, for example, very important for us. Uh, and to share with our consumer that we have been engaged environmentally for a very long time now. Yeah, I was doing my uh, preparation uh, for the interviews, uh, for these uh, special editions of the Drinking Hour. And I've been very impressed genuinely by the sustainability accreditation that's achieved across Bordeaux. I was uh, talking uh, a week or so ago to, to Stephen Brook, who, who mentioned that uh, so many uh, of the uh, estates, whether big or small, have this HVE sustainability accreditation yeah. that it's it's scarcely worth mentioning them now because it's it's almost a given that uh, exactly. someone will have this uh, accreditation. So is that something that uh, you've been very keen to push as well within your membership? Absolutely, you're right. Uh, HVA3 is becoming the new conventional. So HVA3 is the highest level that you can have in this high environmental value. And it's actually a support system for agroecological approaches. And one of the main assets is that it includes the whole plant and it includes the whole cycle from the vine to the bottle. So it really covers all environmental aspects. In a couple of years, uh, for example, um, among French retailers, you won't have any label without this little logo. So you have HVA3, uh, but we also have um, a vegan um, labels for some of our wines. Uh, we, of course, have organic and we have uh, biodynamic for Demeter. And among our uh, cooperative, among our members, uh, the rate is actually 80% of them are today engaged in an environmentally friendly approach. So one of the ones I just uh, mentioned. And um, Bordeaux, actually the average for Bordeaux is more around 60, 65%, which compared to other appellations and other vineyards in France, again, is quite high. And um, as a cooperative, of course, it's it's in our DNA because most of our members want to give their vineyards to their children and their grandchildren. So it makes perfect sense for us that uh, we should be careful about how we treat the vineyard, 
about when we treat it and um, how sustainable our entire approach is. So for this, as a member of the cooperative, you have technicians from the cooperative coming to your vineyard. And depending on the weather forecast and on the expected amount of rain that is going to fall, they will adjust how much it is really necessary to treat the wine. And uh, without being in the excess, of course, um, of treating it unnecessarily when clearly there is just a little bit of rain coming up. And it's worth making the point that it's a maritime climate in Bordeaux. So it's not easy to to be uh, sustainability or organic or biodynamic, is it? No, absolutely not. You're right. So uh, our neighbours from South of France, from Languedoc-Roussillon, have it a lot easier uh, when it um, is regarding, of course, an organic approach. That's why it's really a comprehensive system with technicians coming to the vineyard and with regular tests to see, okay, how we can adjust at best to make sure that this works. And this approach actually also concerns our members who chose to stay conventional, because as I'm sure you're aware of, to uh, become organic is quite an important investment, both in terms of time and in terms of means, financial means, technical means. So um, the members who want to convert are also accompanied by the entire system, by the technicians, by the analogists, um, who will come and assist them um, in advising how to proceed. 2022 is a great uh, vintage for organic wines because it was a very dry vintage. And actually a lot of our wine growers were in their third year of conversion. So um, that's why we are launching also new ranges in organic wines in the three colors of Bordeaux uh, to promote all those efforts that have been made by the wine growers for the last three years. There is uh, an increasing amount of organic wine uh, produced in in Bordeaux um, and to an extent a biodynamic too. Is this a shift that you've seen in the last few years in terms of uh, going uh, in pursuit of those um, kinds of methods? Yeah, it's definitely an increase. And I would say it comes both from the will of the wine growers um, to offer different kind of products. And of course, um, the consumers were asking for a better visibility of the wine and of the treatment of the wine and what has been done before it is bottled. Um, but it's again something that we are doing for a very long time now. Some of our members um, were already um, organic or biodynamic in the year 60, 70, when it was all a little bit hippie and a little bit out of what uh, we would see on the market. Um, so, yes, this is definitely part of our DNA as a cooperative. Again, it's also easier uh, to be accompanied by this entire structure when you want to move forward to an organic conversion uh, than if you were alone course. And you mentioned the three colours of Bordeaux there. Roughly, what proportion of what you're producing within those 20 million bottles, what proportion is red, what's white, what's rosé? So Bordeaux is well known, of course, and has made its reputation for red wines. And uh, so we are no um, exclusion to the rule. We are doing about 70% of red wines, so all appellations, across all appellations, 20% of white, uh, 
Among this 20%, you also have the dry whites and what we call the sweet wines. Uh, for example, Côte de Bergerac Moelleux. So this is also in those 20% and about 10% rosé. But for the last few years, we've seen that actually the proportion of white and rosé wines has increased slowly but steadily um, to actually uh, quite an important uh, quantity for us. Mm, I'm not surprised. I love white Bordeaux. Um, I think those uh, blends, or they're usually blends, um, not always, of course, are incredibly underrated. Uh, yeah. Do you wish people kind of knew more about the white wines of Bordeaux? Definitely. And it's it's happening because what we've seen is that on a global level, the younger generation starts drinking, well, at least um, start to have an interest into wine a little bit later than our generation. We would get our first paycheck and buy a nice bottle to go to the in-laws with and uh, maybe um, start educating ourselves about wine. What we see today is that actually the younger generation first starts with beer. For example, the UK is a beer market before being a wine market and even hard drinks before starting having an interest in wine. So instead of starting around 25, 26 maybe, they're more starting around 32, 33. And what we've seen across um, our uh, markets is that actually an, a white wine is considered as an easier access to wine than red. Because of course, red wines, you need to have a little bit of knowledge. You need to have... Um, a little bit of um, experience to know what you like, what you don't like. And um, whether white wine, it's usually considered a little bit more accessible because most of the white wines are um, quite simple. They are unoaked, they are rather fruity. They are very beautiful and complex white wines, of course, but um, I would say unconsciously it's it seems easier to enjoy a nice glass of white wine without knowing too much about the wine and that's where i think i believe i strongly believe that bordeaux has a great card to play because in our portfolio for example and on the uk market uh, we have currently three different white wines and they are completely different so you have the flagship sauvignon blanc very fresh, crisp citrus aromas, really nice. And then you have um, the specific grape varietal that no one knows on the export market that is really a little bit more fancy. And uh, if you want um, to impress someone or to have an interesting discussion about uh, white wine with wine lovers who already have some kind of experience. And then you have... Uh, for example, the collaboration we did together with Dave Onan. So the marriage between the old world and the new world with this typical new world aromas of tropical fruits. And again, all these wines come from Bordeaux. So historically, Bordeaux was very well known for its red wine. And we would supply a little bit of white wine as a service to our existing clients when they needed, you know, a couple of bottles of white wine. And today we are uh, basically entering some new markets with our white wines that we've been able to highlight and uh, also to show that they definitely have their place on the market. You see, you have these 
beautiful grape varieties that are very popular as well, particularly Sauvignon Blanc, of course, which has been very yeah. much um, in fashion, um, thanks in large part to, to, to New Zealand, I suppose. But um, exactly. And then you've got, uh, and then of course, you've got uh, a Semillon, which is beautiful, textural grape, fantastic yeah. in those blends. You've got Muscadel, uh, you've got Sauvignon Gris, which we'll talk about in a yeah. second, because that's really interesting. I noticed that you put on some of your labels, at least, you're putting the grape varieties on the front, which hasn't historically exactly. happened in Bordeaux so much. Is this to help no. consumers? I'm very happy you noticed it because, again, we've seen that sometimes Bordeaux is a little bit difficult to understand for an outsider because historically we are well known for our blends, both for red and for white. Uh, but it's true, as you mentioned, that um, the biggest grape varietal we have in Bordeaux is actually Sauvignon Blanc. And again, we are trying to adapt ourselves to a changing market and to make it a bit more accessible uh, for the consumer who maybe have a little bit less knowledge uh, in wine or a little bit less time to uh, have some experience in wine, uh, just to give them some easy uh, marks to what to expect in the wine. When you see Sauvignon Blanc on the label, it directly speaks to you. So you know that you're going to have a very refreshing, nice wine with some citrus and maybe some floral aromas. Whereas when you see Sauvignon Sémillon, for the end consumer, it's not always easy. For the Bordeaux wine lovers, they know what to expect. But I would say for people who are right now starting to engage in the wine world, it's indeed a little bit less readable. Very good point. And Sarah, one of your wines that we see in the UK that is varietally labelled is Sauvignon Gris. I promised we'd talk about that. Tell us more about that grape variety, because I think it almost disappeared. Yeah, of course. So Sauvignon Gris used to be a historical grape varietal in Bordeaux. And then basically um, it disappeared for a couple of uh, decades towards Sauvignon Blanc. But actually, Sauvignon Gris is a mutation of uh, Sauvignon Blanc. And today it is starting to be back in fashion um, because it offers different characteristics than Sauvignon Blanc. It is a bit more full body. And uh, in some blind tasting, people would even say that it has some of the Chardonnay characteristics because it has this buttery um, aspect that the Sauvignon Blanc does not necessarily have. So it's actually quite popular, again, among a younger consumer um, who sometimes find the Sauvignon Blanc a little bit too fresh, a little bit too too crisp, if it's possible. So basically, um, they would naturally go to the taste when tasted blindly um, of the Sauvignon Gris because it has also this um, very nice and warm texture that sometimes the Chardonnay can offer. So we launched um, the 100% Sauvignon Gris Grain de Lune at uh, Waitrose, who really loved it and uh, basically used it in their loved and found category. And yeah, it was launched mid-September and it will be until the end of the year. And so far, we have a very nice feedback from the consumers here. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great wine. Um, I was able to taste it at a, a recent great. event. It's uh, really, um, really great that you're also championing uh, a variety that uh, had gone uh, out of fashion, had, had almost disappeared, I, I suppose, because it was under threat for a while, I think, wasn't it? 
Exactly. Yes, it was on the threat. And now today is um, a little bit uh, back into fashion because it matures a little bit later as well. And of course, we have to make some choices uh, in terms of climate change because it's happening whether we want it or not. Uh, so the choice of grape varietal also uh, has definitely an influence on how we move forward. And Sauvignon Gris is part of it, yeah. Uh, Bordeaux has this illustrious history. Uh, it's so steeped in tradition. It's, as I keep saying, the, the most famous wine region in the world, but because it just is. Do yeah. you find it, with all that history, do you find it uh, to be a dynamic and exciting place uh, to make wine? Definitely. Um, definitely, because there is so much to do. There is a great basis and there is a great history, as you said. And Bordeaux is known internationally for its great red wines and its ability um, to basically highlight all the feature of the Merlot, the Cabernet Sauvignon and the Cabernet Franc. Um, but there is still a lot to do, of course, uh, firstly in terms of uh, marketing, because Bordeaux, it's not only old-fashioned, very tannic, oaky wines. Bordeaux can be also very modern and very sexy, and that's what we wanted to do as well uh, by collaborating uh, with Dave Onan, who is very well known in the wine world for being the winemaker behind Cloudy Bay, but also Cape Mendel. And uh, we worked with Dave, um, we've started the collaboration in 2019 uh, on a range called Bordeaux Revolution. So again, um, I talked about responsibility a little bit earlier um, in the interview. For us as a cooperative, we feel it's our responsibility to be at the upfront of the innovations and of uh, of uh, changing this Bordeaux image, because, of course, Bordeaux hasn't always have the best reputation, both in terms of maybe it's a little bit old fashioned, maybe um, it's a little bit overrated. So it's it's our mission uh, to, of course, change this idea. And that's what we wanted to do with Dave. Uh, by bringing mm. him in with his expertise of the new world and by working with historical terroir um, for this range that is one of the most exciting projects we've worked on so far to really change the idea of Bordeaux and, um, again, make it more accessible uh, to also younger consumer with a little bit more eye-catching labels, with different concepts, different aromas. So, yeah. Yeah, a different bottle shape as well, because you're going for a, a bottle shape that isn't the traditional uh, Bordeaux shape, aren't you? Exactly. So it's what we call a burgundy bottle, uh, which is actually um, the normal bottle for uh, New Zealand wines, especially the white wines. So that was Dave's idea as well. And again, the label. Uh, the label is very eye-catchy, very bright. Uh, sometimes it is. A little it looks too great. Bright. Yeah, some, some, but sometimes it's a little too bright for uh, traditional Bordeaux lovers, which I also understand. Uh, but again, we are trying to offer as many possibilities um, as we can to uh, be able to answer each consumer needs and wants. So, yeah, I would definitely have the Bordeaux Revolution wine 
um, with a couple of friends and have it chill at the aperitive. Then you have really the Sauvignon Blanc, the crisp, the citrus. And when this wine warms up, so when you bring it at the table afterwards, it's really nice because you have all those tropical aromas, which are typical from the new world, from New Zealand. So you have pineapple, you have mango, and it uh, really changes completely. So it's, um, no, it's a great experience. Yeah. Bringing in Dave Onan, uh, who has, you know, the Order of Australia for his work. Uh, he's been honoured yeah. there. Uh, he's obviously worked very prominently, as you say, in New Zealand with Cloudy Bay. Uh, bringing in someone like that into Bordeaux suggests to me that there's a real openness within Bordeaux to ideas from outside Bordeaux, outside France even. Of course. Well, we have the responsibility to be open. The wine world is is a men's world in, in its large term. So at the end of the day, we all want to um, provide the best possible wine. The wine is, I think it's very important for this to understand for the end consumer. Wine, it's not a year's work. It's a decade's work. So it's so important that we put it into the right hands and that uh, we open ourselves to new ideas. Because as member of the cooperative, our motto is two brains are better than one. Maybe with yourself, you're going to go faster. But uh, with several people, especially coming from outside, you're going to go further. So that's very, very important to us. And again, we have the mean to do it. So we have the responsibility towards our members, towards the wine growers, towards the Bordeaux name, to actually shake things up and highlight different things. Yeah. Well, it's great to see uh, the cooperative structure working in such a, a dynamic uh, way. So uh, thanks so much, Sarah, for um, explaining how you work, but also telling us a bit more about uh, the wines that you're producing and, of course, that delicious uh, uh, white Bordeaux. Um, thanks very much for your time here on The Drinking Hour. Of course. Thank you very much for the invitation, David. It was great talking to you. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. Though Bordeaux is one of the larger fine wine regions, the gates of its chateau famous around the world, it also has this beguiling tapestry of smaller producers, many of them younger, restless innovators. Guillain Latournerie is one such producer at Chateau Caive in Grave. Uh, Guillain, welcome to the drinking hour. Thank you for, for your invitation. Uh, well, it's great to have you. First of all, um, just tell us about uh, Chateau Caive and where you are and, and what you produce. So we are a little estate, a family estate in the south of Gravel uh, Appalachian, around uh, 40 kilometers at south of Bordeaux, near from the land uh, forest uh, country. It's a little estate, uh, only 10 hectares of uh, vineyard. And uh, we are producing, uh, pro- producing uh, red wine, 75% of the production, uh, with Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot, and uh, 25%, so around uh, two hectares of, uh, of uh, white wine, so with Semillon and Sauvignon Blanc, and Sauvignon Gris also. And Grave is, um, I-, I think, majority red, but it's very famous 
for its white wines, both dry and sweet as well, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. Uh, in the gravel appellation, there is a, like a lot of diversity of terroir. So in the case of Chateau Caive, we are in a, in a rocky place, but in the top of a limestone hill. So we have painted uh, the, the white blocks in a, in a gravel, gravel terrace. But uh, under the gravel terrace, uh, there is a limestone. So we can produce very fine wine uh, with a lot of minerality that uh, that explains the, the quality of uh, of the the white wine from Chateau Caive and from the gravel appellation uh, in general. And those wines are generally uh, blended uh, normally you know, between two two grapes, sometimes uh, three grapes. Is that what you're doing? You're blending Sauvignon and Semillon and Sauvignon yes. Gris. Yes. We have um, two, two different uh, labels. We have the first label, Chateau Caive, the premium uh, quality. Chateau Caive is 50% of Sauvignon Blanc and 50% of Semillon. And uh, after, we have also a second label with 100% of Sauvignon Blanc. So it's two different products. Uh, but as we are very near from the Sauternes Appellation, at the south of the, of the gravel uh, area, our area have a lot of similar in all the in the blending because of the of the area and more uh, history also. And tell me about how those grape varieties come together because there is a certain magic uh, when you bring together uh, Sauvignon Blanc and Semillon, isn't there? It's very interesting to do a, a blending between the, the two grape varieties because Sauvignon Blanc is very uh, aromatic uh, with a, a, very, a lot of freshness in the aromatic. You, you can have some aromas from uh, uh, citrus, uh, grapefruit, uh, so very fresh aromas. Uh, and after, Semillon is, uh, is more... Uh, more heavy, with more structure, uh, and more with exotic aromas. So the combination uh, between Sauvignon Blanc and Semillon is wonderful, thanks to that. And uh, also, it's very interesting to have a blend with the, the boss because in my mind, Sauvignon Blanc is very aromatic, but um, if you are using too much hock, for example, uh, you are going to, to, to lose uh, all the aromas. So Semillon is more easy to, to manage and to age in a hockey place, in a hockey barrel, for example. Uh, so you can do a blend between a Sauvignon Blanc from the tank and Semillon from the barrel and to do a blending at the end and to, to have a lot of aromatic but a lot of structure and complexity from the barrel. So it's interesting to have the both. Mm. And tell me about Sauvignon Gris. Uh, where does that come in? Sauvignon Gris is, is quite the same. It's a, it's a, it's a cuvin from the Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, the difference is the color, but also um, Sauvignon Gris is more aromatic. It's, it's more aromatic, but unfortunately, is less productive also. So uh, for this reason, I think there is not a lot of Sauvignon Gris in the Grave area. Only maybe five percent or two percent of the of the area, but it's a, a very interesting uh, grape variety. Uh, 
Unfortunately, uh, I have I have only five or ten percent of Sauvignon Gris, so it's impossible for me to do a special cuvée. And uh, I have to to blend uh, Sauvignon Gris with the Semillon directly uh, at the harvest because it's impossible to press uh, separately the, um, the, the 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 two grape varieties. So Would you it's like to have more Sauvignon Gris? Yes, yes, yeah, yes. It should be interesting. But uh, after you, yes, it will be interesting. Uh, tell us a bit more about yourself as well, because um, you've um, made wine all over the world, uh, Australia, California, um, and yes. then uh, in Bordeaux as well, uh, before you had your own estate. Why was it important to you to leave France and go to the other side of the world to make wine? In the first time, it was not to, to, to learn wine, but to learn English. So... <laughs> I was not very good at school uh, in English lessons, so <laughs> the first goal to, uh, to well, my you're first good now. <laughs> <laughs> to my first travel was to, uh, to to learn to speak English. So effectively, it was very interesting to learn, uh, especially to to do the vinification of um, of white wine around the world. I think the, the more interesting is in France. If you are from Bordeaux, you are you learn to, to make a, a Bordeaux wine with Bordeaux uh, methods and Bordeaux uh, process. And for the white wine, there is very a lot of things very interesting from Loire Valley, for example, or from Burgundy. But it's very hard to, to learn this process in France because there is too much separation between Burgundy and Bordeaux and Loire Valley. But if you are if you go to a foreign country, all people and all winemakers are more open-minded to different methods. So in the same cellar, you can do a Chardonnay with a Burgundy method and a Sauvignon Blanc with a Bordeaux method. And you can try some Chardonnay method in the Sauvignon Blanc and some Sauvignon Blanc method in the Chardonnay. And yeah, you can learn a lot of different process and to, to come back in France with a, a big... Yes, a big knowledge of the white wine vinification in a few times. And uh, did you come back with ideas for Bordeaux from Australia and from California? Yes, yes, yes. Um, I came back with uh, yes, some ideas. For example, in my uh, white vinification, I'm using a lot of Burgundy methods uh, as the steering for example, yes, no, for me, he helped me to, to manage now my, my estate and my vinification to have some uh, other methods. Uh, Bordeaux is a big area and a very good appellation to do a white wine, uh, but to have some different methods is, uh, is a good thing. And you bought the estate uh, with your cousin Remy. Uh, just over two years ago. Why, yes. when you'd been to all these other places, did you want to make wine in Bordeaux? Uh, uh, because I'm, I'm born in Bordeaux. Uh, I grew up in Bordeaux. So, yes, it's my, my terroir also. <laughs> so it was very important for me to, to stay in Bordeaux. And uh, also, is uh, uh, yes, I'm very proud to produce Bordeaux wines. Uh, Bordeaux is a very historically uh, area, uh, and uh, we can do very famous wines. So for me, I'm proud to produce Bordeaux. Which is great to hear because Bordeaux has this um, extraordinary history. Um, it's uh, steeped in tradition. Um, does that 
do you think uh, make it more difficult to make exciting new style wines or is that not a problem no for me it's not a problem but it's a balance you we have the all the history of bordeaux and uh, when a consumer buy a bordeaux uh, he wants to have a bordeaux so you have not to change everything it's very important to 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 stay with a uh, with a story with a, a typical uh, typical wine from our terroir is very important. So also you can adjust something to do some special cuvee to 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 increase quality by another method. But it's only to increase quality, but not to change everything. We have to to stay with the Bordeaux uh, Bordeaux style also. Absolutely, I I understand. Uh, you know, you have that uh, incredible reputation, and you don't want to uh, to, to jeopardize that. Uh, at the same time, you you want to innovate. One of the things that you're doing to innovate is going through organic conversion at the moment. Uh, why yes. are you doing that? Well, in the first time, it was uh, like a, a mentality. Uh, I have uh, when I start this, uh, restart this, uh, this estate. I had thirty years old, so for me, it was time to do also a, a organic project and to 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 start a different uh, way to do the wine. My estate is only ten hectares, so. It's possible, uh, not easily, but it's possible to, to do an organic conversion. So we start for the to, to increase the quality of wine, to increase the quality of the the, the biodiversity uh, around KIV. And also, it's a, it's a, like a challenge. Uh, we have to, to mine every operation at the vineyard. Uh, you have to check a lot of things. So it's very interesting for the winemaker and for the all the team to, to produce in organic uh, in organic uh, process. Okay, so sometimes it's hard. For example, uh, the vintage 2021 was uh, very hard, but sometimes it's easy. For example, uh, the vintage 2022 was very dry, so easy to manage in organic conversion, in organic production, and. Uh, the the heat wave show me also the the interest of the organic method because thanks to the organic method the we are working the soil not using uh, grass killer uh, chemical grass killer so the now the roots of the vineyard are very deep in the soil and uh, it's more easy to to pass to pass a, a heat wave or a dry a dry season. And uh, I think in Bordeaux this year, in 2022, organic production produces more than conventional production. Uh, if some people have some statistic, I think is is this case. This case. That's interesting. So um, we had, even in London, we had 41 degrees at one point, unheard of, unprecedented. And I know in Bordeaux, as early as June, um, it was sort of 45 degrees. You had a number of horrible heat spikes, didn't you? Yes. And for this, it's very important to have a very a vineyard with a, a very uh, deep uh, roots, but also to have a, a lot of biodiversity, a lot of grass in the soil, to also to, to be very near from your vineyard in order to to, to find solution more, more quickly. 
for this uh, organic production and for me is the future because uh, the winemaker is more near from the from the vine plants and when the yes when the, the, the climate is not okay you are more uh, more efficient uh, to to find solution bordeaux has a very impressive record for sustainability uh, with the hve3 uh, accreditation um is sustainability something that feels very important to you yes 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 it's very important as um, all the bordeaux area uh, start a certification so it can be a organic uh, certification it can be hve3 uh, accreditation for me it's important as all winemakers have an accreditation in order to to trust with the consumer and uh, to 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 have a green uh, that all the world have a green uh, vision from the Bordeaux uh, Bordeaux area. So it's very important, and we have to to work together in this direction. In 2022, I think uh, the area from Bordeaux is the first uh, the first area from France to start organic conversion to start HVE uh, uh, accreditation. So. It's in in the good uh, in the good way for the moment, but uh, as we are a big area with a lot of winemakers, we have to we need time to 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 change. But it's going in the good way. And you have uh, beehives um, next to the vines. I think uh, you have sheep at least some of the time um, grazing on the grass amongst the vines. Um, tell me why you're doing those things. Okay, so for the sheep, um, they are living in the vineyard during the winter. Uh, they start to go in the vineyard today, for example, uh, this morning. So we are waiting as the, um, the leaves from the vineyard uh, died, uh, and uh, and we we start to, to put the, the, the sheep in the vineyard, and they are eating the grass during all the all the winter. At the end of the winter and beginning of the spring, uh, we need to put out the, the sheep from the vineyard to the, to the, the landfill, uh, in order to, to not have damage on the, on the future uh, harvest. Because, uh, sheep uh, like and love <laughs> the, the, the the first uh, yes the, the first vegetation of the of the vineyard because there is a lot of sugar inside so it can be very dangerous to <laughs> to, to to yes to continue with the, the sheep during the spring in the vineyard after we grow uh, the uh, the sheep uh, in the um, in KIV, but uh, in uh, in the in the in the countryside and uh, after they go to the to the mountain in the Pyrenees channel and uh, they stay during all the summer uh, in Pyrenees oh it's a nice life being a, a sheep uh, on your estate what about the bees as well um, why do you have the beehives the bees are maybe uh, 200 meters from the vineyard okay they are not too uh, too near from the vineyard in order to not have a lot of bees uh, in the vineyard also 
a little bit of B is good. Uh, a lot of B can be uh, a problem uh, in order to work in the in the world for the worker, for example. But it's very for me the challenge was to show uh, to our consumer and to our visitors that it's possible to have B and viticulture at the same place. There is a lot of uh, lot of, a lot of uh, press interventions, they say, oh, viticulture are killing a bee. Uh, no, it's not the, it's not the, the reality. Uh, if you are doing your, your job well, uh, you can have bee and, uh, and vineyard at the same place. It's possible. And your bees, um, your bee is on the label, isn't it, of your wines? Yes. It's, it was for the, our production of honey, but not only. Uh, the bee is also the, the label and the, in the mind of everybody is the, the, the meaning biodiversity. And uh, my, pro, my project in Chateau Caive is to, to do a biodiversity project uh, with a, a lot of uh, different... Uh, lot of different uh, wood, a lot of different plants in the vineyard, a uh, lot of different animals. So for me, uh, bee is not the, is not meaning only bee, is meaning all the biodiversity and all the biodiversity uh, that we need to take care. Uh, so for me, the biodiversity first and, uh, and the bee is, uh, is, it's easy to, 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 to show, to show that. And uh, also, the second meaning is uh, the bee is a, a very uh, serious animal. All his life is building. All his life is working uh, in um, in team. Okay, so uh, when you show uh, when you show a bee organization, there is a lot of uh, team team uh, team organization. So for me, it was important for me to to show that to my consumer and to show that also to my team to work in this mining. Yeah, that's a great point. We could all learn a lot from the way bees uh, work uh, with each other, I think, and their um, hierarchy. I was struck looking at your wine labels. They look very modern. They don't look like the old-fashioned image of Bordeaux, which tends to have a picture of the chateau, a couple of gateposts, a couple of iron gates that are, are firmly shut. Um, you've gone for a very different look for your wines, haven't you? Yes, but I think um, it's not a traditional label, but it's not uh, a label with uh, 10 different colors, for example, and uh, uh, is it's a balance between uh, uh, classic things and a new new wave. And uh, for me, it was important to find a balance because I have, I have a traditional consumer, but I have also a lot of new consumer to find. So for me, the, this label was uh, was when we did this label, it was important to to have the balance between the both. I think Bordeaux in general have like a, a very traditional. Um, uh, traditional uh, point of view uh, when uh, a consumer uh, want to uh, to buy a Bordeaux, he want to buy also history and uh, and traditional things. But I think now uh, we have also to find new consumer, and uh, we have to, to to find also new cuvee and new estate with a more modern uh, modern packaging. 
uh, as uh, for example in California or in Australia. So we have to make a balance between the both. And uh, for me, as I'm like a, a young winemaker and a, a young wine producer, uh, it was easy for me to 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 have a, a young a young label. It was not a problem. Which brings me very neatly onto a final question: um, What do you see um, as a young winemaker? You're, I think, 31. Uh, what do you see um, as the future for Bordeaux? The future, the the first future uh, is going to, for the moment, is difficult because uh, uh, it's complicated to 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 change the, the, in the mind of a lot of people the the, the tradition of Bordeaux. So. For the moment, is yes, it's complicated to have lot lot of uh, commercial opportunity, but I think in the future is going to yes, as we have a very qualitative terroir, very qualitative uh, vigneron, uh, is going to to to, to yes to, to to make a success. Maybe not uh, in two years, but maybe in five years. Uh, Bordeaux is going to become to, to to become again uh, the, the the best appellation of the world. <laughs> I hope, but we have to change. Uh, yes, we have to change. We have to change the, the mentality to find a new cuvée to to increase the environmental uh, question. So it's in the good way, but we have to continue. Yeah, and I think uh, that direction of travel. Uh, has been established by you and uh, uh, a whole a load of people like you as well. Guillaume, it's uh, great to talk to you. Um, uh, thank you so much for um, spending half an hour talking to us in English as well, which is which is great. Um, and uh, we really appreciate uh, you sharing your um, knowledge and your project uh, with us here on The Drinking Hour. Good luck with it. Thank you very much. Bye. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. Let's round off this second special edition of The Drinking Hour, as ever, with some IWSC medal winners from Bordeaux, of course. And let's begin with a wine that I enjoyed very recently, at Baron Edmund de Rothschild Chateau Clark 2016 was a silver medal winner. It's from uh, Listrac Medoc, 70% Merlot, 30% Cabernet Sauvignon. And never mind me enjoying it. This is what the judging panel had to say when they assessed it and gave it a silver medal. Black currant cordial and plum compote flavours take the lead in this fine, complex wine. It all comes to an end in a warm, leafy, savoury finish. A wine with great finesse and depth, they said. And another that I had the pleasure of tasting uh, just a few nights ago, actually, and kind of coincidentally, Tesco Finest Margot 2016 was a strong silver medal winner, deservedly so, based on my tasting the other night. 92 points this earned. Uh, This is made for Tesco by Chateau Boyd Cantonac and uh, it's mentioned on the label uh, on the neck of the bottle, which I think is a, a great thing in terms of provenance that Tesco do with their uh, finest wines. 67% Cabernet Sauvignon, 31% Merlot, the remainder Cabernet Franc. Here's what the judges said. A lean yet soft wine with ripe dark cherries and plums, sweet spice, violet and smoky notes. There's some bitter chocolate on the finish. 
Here's another silver medal winner at Chateau Beau Village 2020. This one from Medoc. Uh, this is Merlot dominant, uh, just 55%. The remainder, Cabernet Sauvignon. Here's what the judges said. A classic Medoc example of an elegant combination of ripe dark fruit, dried herbs, bitter chocolate, and pronounced oak influence. Shows great finesse and length. And here's another silver, this one made on the right bank uh, for another of our uh, biggest uh, supermarkets, Asda this time. Montigny Saint-Emilion 2020, made for Asda, won 90 points from the panel. Here's what they had to say. A refined and perfumed wine with a lean texture, a fine balance of crunchy, fresh red and black currants and savoury herbal flavours that will pair well with food. And to round off uh, something sweet uh, from another of the big uh, retailers, uh, just goes to show the importance of Bordeaux for all of those uh, retailers. Uh, this is Morrison's The Best Sauterne, a bronze medal winner. This is uh, a non-vintage, apparently, 80% Semillon, the remainder Sauvignon Blanc. Here's the tasting note, a rich opulent wine with aromas of nectarine, dried apricots, honeysuckle, and a sweet, spicy finish. And that is it for this second Bordeaux special edition of The Drinking Hour. Thank you to my guests. Uh, Thank you, too, for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. And do join us next time. You can follow us at Food FM Radio on Instagram and Twitter. And I'm Mr. Venusaurus on Instagram and Twitter. But until next time, it's goodbye. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world.